Welcome to the Snowboarding Podcast, All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding. I'm Chris Rogers. And I'm Nick Alfieri. This is the podcast where myself and Chris talk about all the life lessons we've learned from snowboarding, not just the good ones, but some of the struggles we've had along the way. So please stay tuned for this week's episode. All right, welcome to episode two of All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding. And this week's episode, we're talking about ways not to train for certification. Yeah, Chris and myself, we went away. We made lists independently. Chris, did you bring your list? I've got my list right here, Nick. Yep, I've got my list right here as well. And we set it up, ways not to train for certification. So all mine start with like a don't. Do you have yours written in a way of like... Similar, they're don'ts or nots, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, So we're going to start from the bottom of the list here, right? And are we going to go... How are we going to do this? Are we going to roll through the last like... We both say number number five, like the least, yeah. is this the least important, the most important? So I, I think the, the the framework on this is Nick and I are both examiners and between the two of us, we've had a lot of people in certification through the years and we've seen some ways that people have trained successfully for certification. We've also seen some patterns where maybe there's some things people do that doesn't help them out with certification. Yeah. And I think the other thing is I took a lot of this stuff from my own personal, the way I trained for certification and how... I made a plan for myself or made strategies that allowed me to be successful. Yeah. Not always successful. I didn't pass everything on the first go, but yep. Well, and this ties right back to why we're doing this podcast, right? Pulling the curtain back a little bit and thinking, uh, you know, one of the things that we hear all the time is, well, how can I be successful for certification? And our goal with this podcast is to get beyond those questions, but we thought we'd start out with answering those questions. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so are we going to go... With the least important first, yeah. out of the five, and I'll tell you what, you share the you share first for number five, then I'll share first for number four, and then we'll bounce back and forth. All right. Deal? Okay. All right. Number Num- five, your least important out of the top five for what? how not to train for certification. Number one thing, uh, number five thing I see, <laughs> number five thing I see for people uh, training for certification that, that goes wrong is that they're training too hard. Really? Yeah. Okay. What, um, what? No, no, what's your number five? You, okay. Oh, you want me yeah. to justify it first? I want you to justify, justify it first. first. Yeah, All right. justify it first. So I think there are people who focus too much on training for the certification and, um, they don't take the time to look at the bigger picture. It's all about that end result. They're training specifically for that certification and they don't get to know snowboarding. They don't get to know the culture. They, they don't see the bigger picture of it. It's training too hard for certification. I think can be negative for some people. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as a result of someone who overtrains? What's the outcome of that? What do you see about them? How they act? Is there a way they snowboard that you see as a indicator of that? I think we see this one a lot at the level two exam and you've come through your level one, you've been teaching for a little little while and you train overtrain for the level two and and it comes through in that really robotic, um, really like you, you're saying the right things but not understanding why. And so when we look at your, like we go out and actually free ride a lap and there's there's not a real indication of personal style. It doesn't look like that you've um, mm-hmm. you've had experience in the gray zone in between, right? You, you might know the teaching progression front to back memorized, but you don't have the experience or the, or the time of actual, um, seeing a student through that process and hundreds of students through that process. You haven't actually taught, you've just trained, you've trained too hard for certification and don't know the steps in between the pieces of our progression. Awesome. I love it. 
Okay. What's, you you want to know what my number yeah, five is? Yeah, your number five. Don't overtrain. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly the same thing. So don't overtrain. And I see that the reason for this is that people always want to train so hard. They want to be successful so badly that they fall out of love with snowboarding sometimes and it becomes so much work and so much of a job. And when you're in that mindset of, Oh, this is work. This is work. You're not really in a creative mindset mm -hmm. and it, it is not good for um, building personal style, as you say, but actually ownership of the skills. So, and overtrain, I mean, it's not so much an accumulative hour thing, mm -hmm. but even scheduling your training and breaks, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to train for four runs this morning but then I'm gonna walk away from it and I'm gonna leave it for however long and then I'm gonna come back for another two runs yep. of actually training this one thing. So to me, it's more about giving yourself the breaks from training you need and sometimes I see people overdo it. Yeah, I, I totally obviously agree. Yeah, obviously you do agree. It's a good start on our list. That's... I, I promise we did not look at our lists before we, uh, we started sharing these. Yep, yep, absolutely. Okay, so my number four would be don't get all your information from one source okay <clears throat> so what i mean by this is that i hear people sometimes saying oh i only want to train with this one trainer or oh i only want i can only train for my level three but from a level three examiner and that really gets under my skin because no matter what the training is you can always take something from it. Even if it's something you disagree with, like you can think critically about it and it's an exercise in critical thinking. You can strengthen your own argument for why you don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. And it's super important that you're getting all the information you can from as many different sources as you can. Because sometimes it's easy to just hone in on this one source. And you're like, well, this trainer really jives with me really well. And so I'm only going to go to that person's clinic. So I'm only going to talk to this person about snowboarding because I like the way they think about it. That's great. Have those people that, that you really enjoy being around and training with. But also make sure you're listening to all other avenues of information. You don't have to agree with it, but at least listen to it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. My number four is over-reliance on your training program. No way. So similar... And, and where I was looking at it with this is is when you've got candidates or when you're when you're involved in a mountain training program and you say you're working on your level three training program, you're leading training, and you see people come back to training week after week after week who have clearly not put in the time in between those training sessions to develop themselves. Yeah. And and what I, I look at that is over-dependence on the training program. Your trainer, your clinic leader can only give you so much. You've got to go do the work put in the time to continue that process through the next week until your next training clinic. Yep. And, and I think when people become over-reliant on their training program, they aren't putting in the time to develop themselves. And that's really what the goal of, the, of your trainer and of a clinic training outline of a, of a program is to give you the tools you need to develop yourself, not to do all the hard work for you. Yeah. I love that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. You ready to... Yeah. Number three. Number three. Uh, I've got number three is not creating a training squad. And uh, what I mean by that is not creating a group to train with. I, mm. I don't think this, I don't think certification training, I don't think training for anything is a good individual sport. You need a couple of people to help hold you accountable and, and not um, 
you know, not not in a negative way. It's just you need a couple of people that you can go to with questions that aren't trainers. Yeah, hey, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about that. I'm working on this. I'm struggling with that. People that you can bounce ideas off. People that are going to hold you to like, hey, did you do what you said you were going to do? Yeah. Um, that you can share your your struggles and your successes with. Uh, people that'll go out and ride with you that aren't a trainer. They can just go go um, see what you're doing. You can ask them those questions. Show them yeah. some video. Whatever that is, having a couple of people that are in the journey with you, whether that's for the same level of certification or something different, having a couple of people that are in that journey with you makes a huge difference in training for certification. I think that's really relating to what I was trying to talk about before, which is getting all your information from one mm -hmm, source, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not. Even if someone's not a trainer, it's just your buddy. Have a look at, Let them have a look at your riding and Take, take what they say, you know? I think that's really important. So I love that. That's awesome. I love it when you hear instructors in the locker room talking about a clinic that they had, whether it was earlier in the week or that day or whatever, and they're like, the trainer said this, and I don't know if I agree with it. What do you think? And you're like, yes, that instructor is seeking other opinions, and they're, and they're forming some other other people to have other perspectives on. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's real growth. I love it. Okay. My number three. This is directed more towards um, level two a little bit and level three okay. mostly don't think you can only train by teaching upper levels for your level three i hear this one mm -hmm. all the time people are like well how am i supposed to train for my level three if i never get any level seven eight lessons it's not about that whatsoever so much of the level three when you look at teaching it's about delivery of content you can deliver content at a level three caliber to a level one lesson. You can practice in indirect teaching at a level three level in a level one lesson. Mm -hmm. You can practice all those things. You can practice adapting to a student profile. That's all applicable to any level you teach. Then the technical hard understanding things, that's the stuff you can figure out on your own time, out riding. So I absolutely 100% disagree with the statements of, I can only train for my level three if I'm getting upper level lessons. So how am I supposed to ever train if, if I never get any of these from work? I fully agree with that. That's a, that's a great statement. I think, you know, it makes me think of the Albert Einstein quote about like, if you truly understand it, you can under, you can explain it simply. Yeah. And, and that's where I look at that level three standard. If you actually understand that high technical, that's not having those high level technical conversations, that's not what you're doing with a level seven, eight, nine student, hopefully. But you'll yep. be able to explain it simply and hopefully bring those elements into a low-level lesson as well. Yeah, the last point I want to make on that in case someone goes, well, what about movement analysis on high-level riders? You can do high-level movement analysis on beginner riders. And even us at Examiner Training, we get in a room and we look at a J-turn and we all go nuts over it. And we dissect it to really find minute details. It doesn't matter as far as that, that piece is concerned to me either. Well, and that ties a little bit towards my, level, my number one. Uh, okay. We can talk a little bit about, about that when we get there. Okay. Yeah. Save it for later. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Is it you. my number two? My number two is don't practice one way. I'm thinking about riding and and skiing. It applies to as well when I when I think about this, which is I see people practice the right way to do things all the time. So someone is unsuccessful at level three carving. What do I see them doing every single day? They're out there practicing the level three carving task on the level three terrain and doing it over and over and over and over again. When really 
the reason they're having an issue carving is a pressure management issue, maybe a four-aft pressure management issue. So they need to go get in touch with their four-aft pressure management, and they need to do that in freestyle. They need to do it in the bumps, in the trees, on skidded turns, in carving as well, but they need to practice that all over the mountain. And I see people always wanting to, to train one way, and they always train the right way. And the second piece of that is someone always tries to train the right movement. When I see someone wanting to train for a most flex to edge change movement pattern, all they ever do is go out and practice most flex to edge change movement pattern. They should go out and practice most extended edge change movement pattern so that they learn what the difference feels like so that they can actually then know when they're doing it correctly. Because all the time you hear people go, well, am I doing it? I don't know if I'm doing it you'll know when you're doing it if you train the opposite. If you need to learn how to flex your knees, go make some turns with your knees straight as a board, and then you'll know what it feels like if you're flexing your knees or not. Do not train one way, train in opposites, and train in all the different types of terrain you can for your skill. I love it, I love it. Yeah, that's uh, that one's huge. And you'll see occasionally, even examiners make a mistake and they get the movement pattern wrong, yep. and they feel it and then they change it. And that's because we've made those turns in so many different ways. Yeah, cool. I love it. What's yours? My number two is not making time for training. And it shows up in a couple of different ways, but it's people who set that goal to achieve a certification, but then they half-ass it. And and you see them at exams, uh, and, it, and it shows up in these two different ways. You see it in exams and people go, oh, I, I really didn't think, I was ready for teach and I was ready for MA, but I, did, I really didn't think I'd get the ride. And, and I was just kind of throwing myself at it just to see. Hmm. And they didn't take it seriously. And, and we've just spent three days evaluating everything they were doing and, and, and sometimes agonizing over some of those scores. Uh, you know, and, and you're just like, this person didn't actually take the time to be ready for the goal that they set. And, and, I, and I, I just see that as a disservice to, to yourself. You know, you've set this goal, but you haven't made the time to achieve the goal or you didn't set a realistic goal from the first place. Yeah. And then the other place I, I really see that that come out is, and it, it a little bit ties back to my number three as well, but it's if you really want that next level of certification, you've got to pursue it and you've got to put time and energy into it. And it's not just on snow and it's not just in your cert training program. It's are you working towards that next level of certification or, or aren't you? It's interesting listening to that from the way you say it because your first one you said was don't overtrain. And then this one sounds like the opposite, but it's not, is it? It's striking that balance mm -hmm. is what it sounds like to me, what you're saying. Maybe yeah, and that's, and that's very intentional, that balance, right? You, you can't overtrain because if all you're doing is training, then you're not, you're not connecting with a sport. You're not connecting with a creative side. You're not connecting with a passion side of it. But if you are under training and you're not putting your, putting your heart into it, it it's going to come out in the results. And I think we've all had moments where we've questioned whether or not we actually want something. And then are you really surprised when you don't achieve that? If, if you aren't really pushing sure. yourself into it, if you aren't holding yourself accountable, if you haven't created people, uh, created a, a surrounding that is going to hold you accountable to that, are, are you really putting your all into achieving that certification? So it's, yeah, it's absolutely finding that balance between not training enough and training too much. Sure. All right. What's your number one? My number one, people don't go snowboarding for fun. <laughs> Okay. So, and this one ties right in there, right in there with the rest. But this is the number one thing I see with people who fail certification is they didn't take time away from training to just go have fun snowboarding. 
Yeah. And it's the reason we're in it. And I see it with examiners who get burned out. I see it with national team members that we work with. I see it with ourselves sitting in this room. Um, I definitely see it in myself uh, in the last five years being in management. I lost touch with the piece of this that actually drives me and makes me love what I do. And if you are so focused on that end result that you've lost sight of the journey, man, you're going to struggle to achieve certification because it's going to come out in the exam. It's going to show that you don't actually care about what you're doing, that you don't connect with what you're doing, that you don't like snowboarding. You'll see it when a task is a little bit different because of the conditions of the day. Like, can you actually make snowboarding look fun? I think there's something to be said for the professional side of what we do, and there's something to be said for the fun side of what we do. And, and certification has got to strike that balance. I'm looking for you to inspire the next generation of snowboarders. When you're going for your full cert, whether you're going for your level two, we're looking that, that you meet those standards. But there's a lot between the lines of those standards that look at, can you snowboard? Do you like snowboarding? Are you going to inspire that kid that, you're, that you walk up to for your next lesson? Are, are you going to invite them into our sport? Can you talk the talk and can you walk the walk? And, yeah. and I think when people don't make time to just go snowboard, it comes up in the exam. And going back to what you were saying about training for upper level certification during lower level lessons, if you're out snowboarding for yourself, you're going to be in chairlifts, you're going to be in situations where you can see upper level riding, even if it's not in a training clinic. Sure. And so you're going to see those opportunities. That's, that's that experience. That's that breadth of knowledge. That's the, the depth of knowledge. That's the understanding of our industry and our sport and what makes people tick. Hmm. And if you walk up to a, a, new, a new guest and you're off this high of snowboarding for yourself, that guest is going to have a better day because you're going to be a more inspired instructor. Yep. Cool. I like it, Chris. Yeah. What's your number one? Okay, my number one. I cheated a little bit on this one. And it's not so much a training piece, although it's a little bit of a training piece. It is. Don't put all your worth as an instructor on how well you do at an exam or how well you do in training. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to go to a clinic and not do well or go to an exam and not do well and feel like, oh, I'm not worth anything. Buddy of ours, Gary Watts an examiner with us. I heard him say this to a group of level threes one time when we were all with them before they got their results. He said, hey, no matter what the result is, try not to let your self-worth as a snowboarder and an instructor get wrapped up in this result. And I absolutely 100% think that was sage advice. And it's real, real easy to feel like you're defined by that result, but it's not the end-all be-all. Yes, we're looking for very specific things in your teaching, very specific things in your riding, but the second you make the leap from that to how big of an impact you make on guests every single day, there's a lot of space in between those two things. So if you can separate those two, A, it keeps you a lot happier, but B, it also keeps you more engaged and more motivated in what you're doing as a job. Yeah, I love that. That's such good advice. You know, it goes it goes hand in hand with that idea of, of it being about the journey, not the result. Yeah. We all do better when we when we look at the journey and we enjoy the journey and not not really focus on that end result. Cool. Well, there you have it. Myself and Chris are top five how not to train for snowboard exams. You know, you can flip that and look at some of the best ways to train for exams is kind of the inverse of what we're saying. Yep. 
I would go with my my number one there. If you flip that, is go snowboarding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. That's it for this week. What's next week, Nick? Next week, it gets a little personal, Chris. Ooh. Yes, we are going to talk about shame. Shame. To me, this relates to not getting, letting your self-worth get wrapped up in how you do it in an exam. I have a personal story I'd like to share about shame, and sometimes I felt not so great on my snowboard due to some results and experiences I've had. And yeah, I guess this is one of the not great sides of things of snowboarding. When we talk about all I really needed to know I learned from snowboarding, this is one of the things that isn't just a happy-go-lucky thing I've learned. Yeah, but I'd say it's uh, resulted in some good outcomes overall. So shame. Learn about shame next week and how shame has played a role in both Nick and my snowboard careers. All I Really Need to Know I Learned from Snowboarding is a podcast by me, Chris Rogers. And me, Nick Alfieri. If you have any topics you'd like myself and Chris to discuss, um, any comments, questions, or concerns, please email us at learnfromsnowboarding at gmail.com. Thanks.